you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians 3. And I'm going to start in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. God, you are great, and you deserve all of our praise. Thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins. God, I thank you that we've been raised with Christ and have the hope of a future glory. God, I pray that these words today are your words and not mine, and that all the glory will be given to you. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The theme of the book of Colossians, and not coincidentally, the theme for this year in chapel is Christ is all. In chapter 1, Paul chooses to use the word preeminent, which portrays the idea that Christ surpasses all others in authority and importance. If Christ truly is our all, you are a new creation. Just as Chaplin co-read earlier, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This new creation is not perfect yet, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to grow in the likeness of Christ until the culmination of verse 4, when we appear with Christ in glory. In the meantime, striving for holiness can be summarized by two simple concepts. Taking off the old self and putting on the new self. I'm a math major. Not a very good one, but a math major nonetheless. In math, we deal with a lot of conditional statements. 
Basically, this means if we say that something x is true, then something y is true, and if something x is not true, then something y is not true. In many cases, this kind of logic and thinking is helpful to my faith. For example, if Jesus died on the cross for me out of grace and love, then I need to respond in love back. Pretty simple, right, Dylan? Well, that's right, Dylan. (laughs) But sometimes you tend to take it a little too far. In my very human, flawed logic, sometimes I think that I have to have putting off the old self mastered before I can put on the new self. But that is not true. It is important to put off the old self in sin, and I do not want to diminish that in any way, shape, or form. But sometimes we focus so much on what we are turning from that we ignore what we are turning to. This is one of the reasons why I've chosen to focus on verses 12 to 17 today. When trying to think of a passage, the first thing I asked myself was, what am I terrible at? And the answer was simple. I thought, well, I've been convicted lately by my lack of compassion for other people, uh, my lack of patience, my lack of forgiveness, and having a peace and confidence in Christ. So here we are today. If you're a note taker, I've divided the sermon by verses. If you're a Bible major, don't worry, there are five points. First, in verse 12, I'll talk about how it is possible to put on the new self. And then in verse 13, I'm going to talk about forgiveness. And in verse 14, it's all about putting on love. In verse 15, it's about having the peace of Christ. In verse 16, it's about letting the word of Christ dwell in our hearts richly. And to keep it five points, I wrapped up verse 17 about doing all things in the name of the Lord with a conclusion, uh, just to help you guys out. All right, let's jump right into verse 12. Paul writes, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Because we have been made new through Christ, these things are possible. But how are they possible, Dylan? Well, curious audience member, (laughs) let me explain. In verse 10, Paul writes that the new self is being renewed and knowledge after the image of its creator. This begs a couple of questions. First, how is the new self being renewed? And second, what does it mean to be renewed after the image of its creator? Both of these questions can be answered in Galatians 5, 23, and 24. And I'll just read them. You don't have to turn there. There, Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The first question is answered right in the beginning. The new self is being renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The second question, however, is a little bit trickier. We do not know everything about God, but there are some attributes of God that are evident throughout Scripture, and some of them are called incommunicable, which simply means that God possesses them and only God. For example, only God is all-powerful and all-knowing. Other attributes are communicable, which means that they're attributes that we can share Him through Christ. 
Since we share the image of our Creator through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to have joy, peace, patience, love, and so on. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, we can put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Does that answer your question, curious audience member? Well, yes, it does. Thank you. (laughs) On Sundays, I volunteer in the elementary age Sunday school group at Crossroads Community Church called NextGen. For about the last 15-ish minutes of each uh, church service, we split up into small groups and answer questions about the lesson. So every week, I end up with a group of about six third-grade guys and we answer Bible questions together. Don't get me wrong, I love it, and most weeks are great, but uh, this last Sunday was pretty hard. They didn't want to sit up, they were going way off topic, and a couple of them kept asking me, are we done? After every question. At the time, I was already preparing for this message, so when I was beginning to lose my patience, I immediately thought of this verse. At one point, I took a breath, prayed a quick prayer in my head, and finished off the questions. After the service was over, I prayed, God, thank you for bringing, me, bringing that to my mind today and helping me be patient. And also, thank you for the sermon illustration that I can use in my sermon on Friday. <laughs> in short, by the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit, we are able to put on the new self and have compassion, kindness, patience, and so on. Moving on to the next verse, Paul explains to us the importance of forgiveness in verse 13. While putting on the new self, we are to be bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. To the world, forgiveness does not make sense. It is a lot easier to be right than to forgive. However, for the sake of unity in the body, as believers, we are called to deny our old selfish selves, deny the desire to be right, and put on the new self, and forgive because Christ forgave us first. If you would, Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 18. Here in verses 23 to 25, Jesus tells Peter a parable that many of us are probably familiar with. In it he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, 
he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Growing up in the church, I probably heard this a hundred times, maybe a thousand times, but something never really clicked in my head. To me, the servant was obviously way out of line and totally wrong. Of course, it sounds pretty ridiculous when you consider the big picture. In light of the master's forgiveness, the servant should have extended the same offer to the man that owed him money. Many times, I know that I'm like the servant, but for some reason, I always felt justified in my anger and trying to be right. Well, if you start from the perspective of the servant after he left the master in verse 28, you see a man trying to seek justice for the money he was owed. From this perspective, the servant didn't really do anything wrong. Technically, he was right. A guy owed him money. But as Christians, however, we have to approach forgiveness in the light of the eternal debt that has already been covered on our behalf. The old self wants to hang on to anger, resentment, and being right. But our new self denies those feelings and remembers that we can forgive what seems impossible since God has already forgiven the impossible in us. If Christ is all, then whatever you're holding on to is nothing in comparison. Moving on to verse 14, Paul reminds us of the second greatest commandment. The first is, of course, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, according to Jesus in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. In verse 39, Jesus gives us one similar to it, but second in nature. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now back in Colossians 3.14, Paul phrases it a little bit differently and says it like this. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. But what does it mean to put on love? Let's go back in Matthew uh, 5, 43 to 47. Here Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes, his son, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? 
do not even the Gentiles do the same? It does not mean, uh, it does not just mean loving those that are easy to love. It means loving those that seem impossible to love. Christ died for us when we were impossible to love, and if we truly believe that Christ is all, then we will put on the new self and choose to love others. But how can this be applied practically? There are many ways to put on love here at the Masters University, so I've just compiled a few. First, pray for one another. That may sound like a no-brainer, but when it comes down to your personal devotion time, how often do you actually pray for your friends? Honestly, I don't know. But until recently, I almost never did that. And it's definitely an area where I can improve. You've probably heard this before, and probably in chapel. But ask to pray for people on the spot. If you tell someone that you're going to pray for them, ask to pray with them right then and there. Also, follow up with the people you pray for, whether it's a face-to-face conversation or just a simple text. Send them an encouraging note in the mail. Telling someone that you've been praying for them can change their whole day and encourage them like you will never believe. Secondly, find a place to serve in your church. I spent a year of my time here, a year trying to find my second church attendance. I knew there was a need in children's ministry at Crossroads, uh, but it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do, so I avoided it like the plague. But after some serious prayer and a realization that I needed to put on the new self and serve, a friend and I walked across the campus one Sunday and started volunteering. Now I love it, even though some Sundays are harder than others. To sum it up, put on love by serving where there is a need. Third, spread the gospel. If Christ is the key to eternal life, and if Christ is all, and we believe in it, then our response should be to tell others about this perfect gift. Whether it's at your job, or at Starbucks, or even at your job at Starbucks, the gospel needs to be at the forefront of our minds. You've probably heard the phrase, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words, meaning that your action should be a testimony to non-believers. As true as this is, it cannot be an excuse to avoid words. The people need to hear them. Now, you may be thinking, Dylan, I live in Masters. How can I possibly preach the gospel? Well, there are many ways to preach the gospel, but I've compiled a few opportunities for you. First, join an outreach week team. We have teams going over all over the LA area, waiting for you to sign up. Sign-ups are on content management, by the way. (laughs) Also, come to Arbor Road Church. Second, (laughs) join the Evangelism Society. I'm not personally a member of the society, but I've heard really great things, and more information about societies will come out soon. Third, go on a GO trip. Global Mobilization Week is coming up in a couple of weeks, and there are all kinds of trips that you can be a part of. There are all kinds of needs that need to be filled. 
If you're interested, Whitney Gamillion and I are leading a trip to Ukraine, and we would love to have you. Those were all my shameless plugs, and I think I'm done. So remember, when putting on love, pray for one another, serve your church body where there is a need, and preach the gospel anytime you can. Now, moving on to verse 15. Here Paul reminds us of the peace we have in light of Christ. He writes, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. A couple of weeks ago, Dr. Keller preached a parallel passage of Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One thing that really stuck with me was when he said, don't underestimate the witness of having a good attitude. In light of all of that, this week I realized that I wasn't really living this out. Preaching is not something I do every week, uh, so the thought of standing up here now has kind of been freaking me out since April. I was hoping to have this written and finished by this weekend, but that didn't happen. So I at least wanted to get done with it by Monday. Um, but that also didn't happen. The problem on Sunday night was that I had lounge duty, and then on Monday I had a meeting before chapel, so I had four hours of sleep that night. And uh, if you saw me, I was probably a stressed out zombie running around on four hours of sleep, not knowing what he was doing. And on Mondays, I have class until 6 and ASB meetings at 10.15. So between dinner and prep for the meeting, I had about a three-hour window to work on and hopefully finish the sermon that was stressing me out all weekend and all day. (sighs) So after dinner, I walked up to my room, turned on my computer, and saw a window that said, computer will restart for mandatory updates and there was no postpone option, so I was stuck and wanted to die. (laughs) To top it all off, the updates also took 11 hours. (laughs) That was a good reaction, I like it. (laughs) After the ASB meeting, however, a few of my closest friends came into my room and prayed for me. And I thought about this passage. I realized that I was not living it out. I didn't have a good attitude. I was trying to lean on my own strength. And there wasn't an ounce of peace in me. I was not putting on the new self and remembering the work of Christ. So that night, I prayed, God, I need you and I trust you. Please give me peace. And God, thank you for another sermon illustration (laughs) that I can use in chapel on Friday. At the end of the day, if Christ is all, then there is no need to worry about anything. Because we have eternal life already, nothing should worry us. 
You can take away my job, you can take away my family, but you can never take away my relationship with Christ and the eternal life he offers us and hope of glory. Since Christ is all, verse 16 gives us some insight into how that is supposed to look in our hearts and on a practical level, specifically considering, considering the word of Christ. Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Jesus is the word of God. He is called the word because he communicates the mind and heart of God the Father to the people. If Christ is all, then the word cannot be taken lightly. I've been here for a long time. Um, I run into people outside of here that had graduated a while ago. I'm like, oh, weren't you in my class? Didn't you graduate with me? And I'm like, no, I was a freshman. <laughs> it seems like I've been here a long time. And I know that our motto is, for Christ in Scripture. I've also sat in enough chapels here and have heard the read your Bible speech many, many times. And as I say all of that, I know how easy it is to take it for granted. I've spent way too many semesters here wasting my time on secondary things. Not that they're a problem, but they are a problem when the word is neglected. There's no way for the word of Christ to dwell richly unless we actually read it and know it. One of the many benefits of being here, or where we're at, is that we don't have to do this alone. If you want some tips, have your roommate keep you accountable. Ask them what they're reading, what God is teaching them. Encourage each other to read more. Admonish one another and warn each other of how important this is every single day. Putting on the new self is not simply putting off sin and being nice to people. It is about a lifestyle of devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ. If there's no relationship there, then there is no point of any of this. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because we are forgiven. Without a growing relationship in Jesus Christ, we don't have the power to do any of this and put on the new self. Above all, since Christ is all, the message of Christ needs to dwell in our hearts richly. Finally, as we put on the new self, Paul reminds us that we are to do them, do these things in Christ's name. He writes in verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whether it's putting on a compassionate heart, being patient, forgiving one another, being peaceful, or reading the word, it all needs to be done in the name of Jesus Christ. One of the things we talk about often in ASB is how we are to do all things for the glory of the Lord. Most of the time, it just means that we're supposed to have a good attitude when we work, like every Saturday morning in February when we're making our Disney Week decorations. But even in something as small as that, if Christ is not our all, 
And if we forget to do our work in the name of Christ, then it doesn't have a point. Everything here will pass away. But Christ will reign forever and ever. Remember, my friends, when you put on the new self, do it all for Christ, since Christ is all. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day once again, and thank you for your son. I pray that you will help us put on the new self for your glory and not our own. God, I pray that we will remember your word and love one another, even when it gets hard. I pray for my fellow students that together we will be truly a school that lives for Christ in scripture. And I pray this in Jesus' name.